Hey everyone, this is Aaron Bentley, writer and producer for Heartbeat Podcast. I just wanted to jump in at the top of this episode and say sorry for the hiatus and thanks for sticking through it. Uh, We got some of our Kickstarter rewards fulfilled and are now back on the episode grind. Also, for any new listeners, this is a serial podcast, so starting here isn't going to be the best idea. Head on back to episode one, A Pound of Flesh, and we'll be here for you when you return. Again, thanks for your patience. Your continued support means everything to myself and the rest of the crew at Heartbeat Podcast. On with the episode. There are many things that define you in the city of Satellite. Your clothes, your address, your job. If you pay even the most minute bit of attention as you walk the streets, you will see things embraced and things avoided. The yellow and black of the wasp uniform belongs only to them. The dark and rusted red coating only graces the arms of the watchdogs and the backs of the inquisitors. Two sides of the same bloody coin. Two badges similar not only in color, but function. Sure. There are ways around the labels you are given. Ways to pass as something you aren't. Ways to hide what you are. Even watchdogs have sleeves, after all. The cloak of the Inquisitor hides more than just their face. There are those with the means to make those with the means to fade, and there are even more without either. When the city of two, when the church, when the government tells you what you are, who are you to deny it? To deny me? I have seen those that remake themselves, those that forge and alter and edit others, and I have seen you Just how long do you think you can lie? Just how long can you keep those around you fooled? They might not yet grasp it. But I see everything. And I see you. The gym was crowded. I wasn't sure if people were hearing word on the street of the spike in flush trade cases, or if it was just something in the water that was making people paranoid. But my women's self-defense class was packed. I usually had a solid core of weekly regulars, but there were more new faces and familiar ones in tonight's lineup. Alright, good work. That'll be all for tonight. If you borrowed your gear, pitch it into the bin. I'll see you next week. As they began to file out, 
I noticed two steps standing in the doorway that led from our cramped back room space into the gym proper. He stepped aside to let the women pass by and nodded to me. Good class. A lot of green. Yeah, almost double the normal class size. What's up? You got something for me? The guy in the office wants to talk to you. Says he's got a gig. I didn't think you were taking anything right now, given you're spending your nights running for that wasp. I'm on a few. Easy ones. You know, cheating spouses, missing items, that kind of thing. This don't seem like one of those. Oh? See for yourself. Two-step gestured me toward his office before turning toward the mat where two men were starting a match. I headed for the door, his voice fading behind me. Hey! Get on your toes to bite the redeemer, I will- Two Step's next words were cut off by the door shutting behind me, and I found myself face to face with a pale, thin man who was tucking some kind of handkerchief into his coat. He had no hair on his head except a few wisps of white strands. <laughs> Though he sounded breathless as he spoke, almost wheezing, his hands were steady, his eyes clear. Afternoon. <laughs> Investigator Hart. The one and only. Your secretary said that I might be able to find you here. <laughs> and it's, well, it's imperative that we speak. <laughs> I don't usually take calls outside of the office. Why'd Esther point you here? Oh, yes. Esther asked that I give you this if I got a hold of you. Dear Jack, Please forgive the rule-breaking. Marshall is a dear friend of mine, and it would mean a lot to me if you would at least hear him out. All right. Marshall? Yes, Marshall Lynch, from Lynch Mortuary. Well, a friend of Esther's is someone I'll give a shot. What's your problem? It's, <laughs> it's, it's strange business. You see, my mortuary services the church. Flesh tithe? Yes, though, I think they're moving away from that kind of phrasing. Ah. What are they calling it nowadays? Well, the church officials prefer to call it the final donation. I'll keep that in mind. Please, continue. Most of my work comes from the church, in fact, almost exclusively nowadays. <coughs> that pay well? I am grateful to be able to do my part to support the church. I'll take that as a no. That's that's not the problem. The problem is that the bodies are going missing. Getting up and walking away? Well, that would be a marvel in its own right. And surely not something the church would pass up on. Surely, but no. These are very much deceased individuals. And we're now on <coughs> approximately six bodies missing. The last one disappeared from the back of one of the delivery trucks. Have you grilled your employees? I haven't. We're a small operation, just myself, my son, and the young apprentice. Who's the apprentice? Her name is Molly. She's a good kid, if a little troubled. What's that word standing in for? What? Troubled is usually just a placeholder for something you're being too polite to say. Oh no! <laughs> no! <coughs> Molly is a hard worker, a good worker. She's just, well, she comes from an unsavory background. <laughs> but we all do in one way or another below the grades. 
so I don't hold it against her. You don't sound very convincing. I... I know. I don't want it to be true, but I'm afraid that there's really no other option that makes sense. She used to run with one of the gangs, maybe the dead men. I'm worried that she's taking the bodies and selling them on the street. Why do you think it's an employee? Is there anyone else that could get in? I thought that maybe it was some kind of a strange break-in. <coughs> but the last body that was taken was taken from the rear of one of the refrigeration vehicles heading to the church. How could someone pull that off without some kind of inside help? Yeah, I've gotta say it seems pretty straightforward here. I know, I know, but I, I just can't believe that it's her. Not without solid proof, first-hand evidence. I've... <coughs> she's... <coughs> she's come so far. I don't want to call the wasps until I know for sure what's happening. Alright, fine. Since Esther is vouching for you, I'd be remiss not to help. Thank you, investigator. I could see the vain hope in his eyes that his assistant wasn't the person behind the missing bodies. But I could also see that hope dwindling as we talked. I'll be in touch, Mr. Lynch. Take care of yourself. As I ducked out the door, I could hear the sound of his wet, labored breathing. The strain and the cough that he covered with a shaky hand. Whatever was going on with him, I hope he was on the mend. I got back to my office and was somewhat surprised to see Esther still sitting behind the desk, even though by now we were moving well past closing time. Esther, what are you still doing here? Oh, Jack! I was hoping to see you after Marshall got a hold of you. I'm terribly sorry for the runaround, it's just... Marshall is a good friend who's on some hard times and- It's alright, Esther. You don't have to apologize. I'll see what I can do for him, though the case seems pretty cut and dry. Is that a bad thing? <laughs> no, it's not a bad thing. Just maybe not something you need to hire a private investigator for. Though when working for the church, it's probably best to have all your bases covered. Especially when it concerns their flesh tithing. I saw Esther shudder out of the corner of my eye, and it took me slightly aback. I guess maybe having been around this kind of shit this long had made me more indifferent. Well, thank you anyways, Jack. I really appreciate you looking into it. Sure thing, Esther. Of course, Jack. Oh, I almost forgot. Officer Smith left you a voicemail. I have it queued up for you. Thanks, Esther. I'll give it a listen. Hey, Jack. Smith here. The trail's still cold on the counterfeiter. We have a slight lead that I'm going to be following up on in Upper, so I'll be out of touch for a little while. I'll let you know if I need you to run anything. <sighs> I'd been burning the midnight oil for the last couple weeks or so, helping Smith with the counterfeiter case. We'd gotten close a few times, but after a couple of scares, he'd all but disappeared in the mist. Helping Smith was the least I could do, after... well... everything.
Marshall Lynch's morgue was modest, but well kept, with dark wood, deep colors, and a comforting atmosphere that greeted you when you first entered. It was in the region known as the Gunners, the area that was right at the edge of the grating to Upper. The buildings out here tended to be smaller than the concrete behemoths that crouched under the grates more toward the middle of satellite. They also rarely had basements, due to the fact that the precipitation out here that ran off the grates above frequently led to torrential waterfalls and thus flooding. It was eerie to stand on the edge of the city. It felt both like leaving a warm embrace and escaping a desperate grasp. You wanted to turn back to the darkness, but felt as though there was some kind of spinning beast snapping at your heels. In the distance, across cracked concrete and stubborn plants shoving their way through pavement, I could see the beginnings of trees. The steeple of one of the church buildings posed like a needle stabbing up into the dawning sky. I walked the top floor, waiting for Marshall to finish up talking to a young couple with red eyes and trembling hands. I could hear the low, somber tones of their conversation, even if I couldn't pick up the words that they were saying. The mortuary was mostly decorated with examples of the services offered. Donations, cremations, full burials. Apparently this was, or at least used to be, a full-service establishment. I'd done a bit of research the night before, happy to be looking into something that had at least some definitive data, and found that most recently, they'd been almost exclusively servicing the church. While it was steady work, it didn't exactly pay great. Not even close to as well as a full burial, but more than a cremation. After all, according to them, it was not only your duty, but your pleasure to serve the church. stopping by. I'll do everything I can to make sure that your son is treated with dignity and respect. <coughs> Investigator Hart, thank you for coming by so quickly. <coughs> yes, well, my other gig is at a standstill, so I figured I'd get on this one. Rather than take a vacation? I'll take a vacation when I'm dead. For now, why don't you give me a tour? Of course, follow me. Upstairs here leads to the private quarters where my son and I live currently. To your right is the room where we hold the viewings of the public events. And down this staircase is the morgue, examination room, and crematorium. Of course. Lead the way, Mr. Lynch. We descended a carpeted staircase to a heavy metal door, and Marshall struggled with opening it to the point that I almost stepped in. When it finally swung open, Marshall extended a trembling hand. You have it, the... <coughs> the examination room. Stunning. The morgue had a wall of refrigerators on one side, a few metal tables in the middle of the room, and another door that was labeled crematorium. There was an elevator that must have been positioned at the back of the building, maybe with alley access, and an office in the back corner that had a few windows with half-closed blinds and a short, squat woman with tattoos and more than a few battle scars bustling around the room, headphones in, oblivious to our presence. This must be Molly. Yes, Molly Jacquemot, my apprentice. 
Why isn't your son your apprentice? He works mostly... <coughs> oh, he works mostly as our accountant, though he has a different day job that keeps him busy. Gotcha. Well, if you'll excuse me, I think it's time for me to get to work. Of course, investigator. <laughs> I looked around the room once more, took a deep breath of the harsh smell of chemicals, and stepped forward into the room, raising a hand in a small wave to get Molly's attention. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hey, wait, chick! You're not allowed to be down here. Molly pulled the headphones from her ears, holding a hand out to stop my approach. I reached into my pocket and I could see her tense, her grip tightening on the mop that she currently held. My name is Investigator Jack Hart. I was hired by your employer to look into the missing bodies. When my hand came out of my pocket, holding only my badge, she seemed to visibly relax. Right, right, okay. Yeah, um, for Mr. Marshall? Yeah, I just wanted to ask you some questions. Anything to help Mr. Marshall. What can I do for you? He mentioned several bodies have been stolen, most from the fridges here and one from the back of a locked freezer truck. That's right. That damn near blew my mind. I thought that righteous vulture was going to replace it with my own sweet body. I'd never seen such a fury. Yeah. How, how did you get all the way to the priest without noticing the body missing? I don't rightly know. Best I could think is someone snuck it off just before we left the morgue, or during one of the traffic stops. I'd say that they could have got it at the church drop-off point, but that security's pretty tight. So it had to have been one of them doing the stealing. You think the church is stealing their own bodies? Makes more sense than them just getting up and walking away. <laughs> I, if the body goes missing, you don't have to pay for it. Look, I, I know how this looks, but I wouldn't do anything to hurt Mr. Marshall. Him and this business are all that I've got anymore. Since the gang? I don't pretend that I've always made good decisions, but I'm trying to now. You gotta... Well, you don't gotta, but I wish you'd believe me. It's too early in the investigation for me to believe anything. Mind if I take a look around? No, go ahead. Just don't go knocking any bodies over. Yeah. Never. The main area where Molly had gone back to her work with a worried frown and her headphones back in yielded very little in the way of clues or ideas. I wandered into the small office. The shades were all about half drawn, cutting the view out into the examination room. There was a slight musty scent, and from the looks of the handwriting spread around and the few personal items here and there, Marshall was probably the only person to really use the room and he hadn't done that in a while. The desk was piled with papers, and since Molly wasn't currently looking in on me, I began to shuffle through them. There was nothing here of direct linkage to the body snatching, except a few unpaid bills, a sternly worded letter from one esteemed Optera Fole. The church was definitely taking these disappearances seriously if they had an Optera at work on it, instead of letting a local priest handle it. I opened the desk drawers to find more of the same. It looked like organization wasn't exactly Marshall's strong suit. In one of the drawers, there was an empty white-capped bottle, some kind of medication container, though it looked like it was both empty and prescribed a while ago. A Paclinib. Yeah, no idea what that is. 
I heard the sound of a muffled conversation out in the exam room. But from the half-shaded windows, all I could really make out was a man wearing a wrinkled shirt partially tucked into pants, gesturing animatedly at Molly. He stopped swiftly in the door. He had mousy brown hair that looked unpurposely tousled, and a general vibe of anxious exhaustion that was only too relatable. What? What are you doing here? Who are you? That's not... you don't get to ask that. Devin, I was trying to tell you. This is the investigator your dad hired. She's here to look into the missing bodies. Devin turned his head slightly to look at her, then rubbed his face. Her hand lingered for a brief moment on his arm, and he made a move as if to touch it with his own, though he redirected at the last moment. Molly's face fell, and she gave me a curt nod and walked back into the examination room. Sorry, it's just... it's been stressful. Yeah, I can only imagine. Weird stuff going on around here. Indeed. You know anything about it? I know it would be better if we could afford a top-notch security system, but the church doesn't exactly pay well enough for that. Funny. You'd think they'd be more inclined if it protected their interests. No kidding. Your name's Devin? Yeah, Devin Lynch. You work here with your dad? Only sometimes. I'll help out on the occasional night shift if they're busy. Gotta make ends meet somehow, and the bodies keep rolling in. Death is a good business to be in. Even the Redeemers keep dying. You probably shouldn't talk about the doves that way. What's the church gonna do? They get my body after I die, and they get my money while I'm alive, so I don't rightly know what they have to bitch about. You have any leads yet? I don't discuss business with non-clients. The only room left was the crematory, and it was the least used in the whole place. The furnace itself was blocked in by boxes and equipment. I stepped out, nodding to where Molly and Devin stood next to each other, stumbling out of a quiet conversation. Your crematory is gathering the wrong kind of dust. Eh, never got much use out of it anyways, you know, since the biomod boom. Reckon not. Is a transport truck out back? Yeah, come on, I'll show you. We climbed into the elevator that started up with a grinding noise that made me a little leery. Ugh, I know. I hate these things myself. They remind me way too much of those stair lifts. Yeah, same. We stepped out into the alley at the back of the mortuary. A large, heavy-duty truck with a refrigeration unit on the back sat Lynch's mortuary emblazoned on the side. So this is the one that the body disappeared from? The very same. I walked around the outside of it, not noticing any particular blemishes. I laid down on the ground and looked underneath, but there was no weird hatch or escape route through there. Damn, this latch certainly isn't an easy thing to open. Nah, she's a bit rusty. I swung open the door and peered into the back. There was nothing at all on the inside besides cool air, and I swung back the heavy door. It wouldn't be likely that anyone could carry a body off this truck during a stoplight, so either the body never made it on the truck to begin with, or the church was even shadier than I thought. Anything else I can do for you, investigator? No, I think I've seen what I need to. Have a nice rest of your day. It was getting late, and I was starting to feel the cold of the body freezer settling into my bones. Even the damp streets of Lower would be preferable to this. I almost didn't know what to make of the free morning. 
No leads to follow, no notices to send, no sitting with Smith and staring at an ever-dwindling list of suspects. I stood at the counter, coffee in hand, tablet in front of me, forcing myself to focus on the task, on the case, at hand. It would probably be my best course of action to stake the place out the next time that they had a body delivery scheduled. I could either wait in the morgue for suspicious activity, or follow the truck. I went to send a message to Marshall, but got sidetracked when my tablet opened to the net. Curious, and wanting to put off spending more time in a morgue, I searched the name of the empty pill bottle I'd found in the desk. Apaclinib. A drug to fight synthetic lung deterioration. Cutting edge. The only one of its kind if the advertisements were to be believed. I continued my surface-level searching around until my eyes landed on the price tag for a prescription. By the Redeemer? I think I'd rather die. Shit! I hurried to wipe the coffee off my tablet and headed downstairs, wondering who would be showing up today. We were obviously closed, so it had to either be someone whose case I was already working on, or one of my contacts who forgot phones existed. I could make out through the fogged glass a dark shape standing patiently on the other side. Just as my hand landed on the door, the buzzer went off again, and I pulled it open before the person had time to pull their hand back. Ah, oh, my apologies. Can I help you? The person, clad in all black except for a crimson and gold cross and a circle embroidered on their coat, reached into their pocket and produced a badge of sorts. Heavy metal, with the cross and circle etched into the center, the word Optera in black around the edges. My name is Optera Foe. I was hoping you could clear some things up for me. Depends. I crossed my arms, my gaze cold. I didn't like the church at the best of times, least of all when they showed up unannounced at my house far too early in the morning. Mr. Lynch informed me that he had someone looking into his little problem. You would be that person, correct? If I am, that would fall under client privilege. Please, Miss Hart. Investigator. Investigator. Could we not make this more difficult than it needs to be? I don't think I'm being difficult. Surely you understand that I'm just doing my job. As I am trying to do mine. And as part of that job, I would need to inform you that the church is heavily invested in finding the person responsible for the thefts. So much so that if the next body is not delivered safely, which should be within the week according to the service log, we will have to call in our own people to look into it. Oh yeah? You gonna send one of your altar boys to run the ground game? We'll be forced to call in an Inquisitor. I felt my blood run cold. The muscles of my jaw immediately clench. The Inquisitors were almost the watchdogs of the church, if on slightly shorter leashes. They weren't exactly known for their compassion or their light touch when it came to their investigations. I'm sure you'll do your best. Hey, while I've got you here, you mind answering a question? How might I be of- One of the bodies went missing off a refrigeration truck. Now I looked this thing over and there's no way it happened in transit, and the apprentice swears that it was in there when she left. Is there a point to- That means that it either never made it on and she's lying to me, or you're lying to me about the delivery. How dare you insinuate such a thing? Please, Optera. I'm just doing my best. Well, I can assure you that the church would never do such a thing. 
We take pride in our work, after all. If only you put as much work into protecting your live patrons as you do your dead ones. Maybe then I could stand your hypocrisy just enough to attend. Now get the fuck off my landing before I shoot you for trespassing. We aren't on your holy ground right now. You're in satellite. Jack speaking. Hello, Jack. This is Marshall Lynch. I just wanted to inform you that we're getting in one of the church's tithes tonight. <laughs> I don't know your availability, but... Yeah, I'll be there. Leave it unlocked and do me a favor. Tell no one, no one at all, that I'm going to be there. Things just got a whole lot more serious. What? What happened? An Optera just showed up. He said that if the next delivery doesn't happen, then the church is going to take over. An Inquisitor? Yep. Like I said, I'll do what I can for you, but you've got to keep this between the two of us. Yes, I will investigate it. <laughs> Good. I'll be there before the body rolls in. I stood in the office, in the back corner, slightly behind a coat rack that seemed as though it had been holding the same two jackets for almost a decade. As far as hiding spots went, it wasn't the best one, but since it looked like no one but Marshall used this office, I was banking on it being ignored by the employees. Plus, the half-closed shades meant that if someone wanted a really good look, they'd have to bend down and peer in, and that, in itself, would be suspicious. It wasn't long before Molly showed up, the large metal doors of the elevator swishing open to reveal her, headphones in and boots tapping, and a metal cart with a blanketed figure on it. Molly wheeled them into the room and set about her work, taking photos, writing notes, checking out the body. It was baffling to me how someone so upbeat could be in this profession, especially considering it really didn't seem to pay much for the kind of job you were expected to do. Molly worked diligently for a few hours before she slid the body into one of the freezers, took off her gloves and white lab coat, and spun on her heel to the elevator. As the door shut behind her, I took a minute to sit and stretch, my legs cramped from being still for so long. I waited, and waited, and waited for her to come back. For anyone to come do anything. I didn't really know what the whole process was for the bodies heading to the church. Or, for that matter, what the processing of the bodies in the funeral home entailed. But the best time to steal a body had to be when the morgue was closed and after the tech had left, assuming that it wasn't the tech doing the job in the first place. On a whim, I picked up my phone and texted Marshall. I would have hoped that the old man could keep the secret, but I also knew how biased he was toward his apprentice. Hey Marshall. Nothing worthwhile. I'm heading out for the remainder of the night. Talk more tomorrow. In addition to the old sheets and photos scattered around, an ancient computer and some various chips, there were a couple of overdue bill notices, printed on synthetic paper like the rest of the shit on the desk. I picked one up, 
rubbing it between my fingers to feel the difference in texture to the real paper I had held at Vance Morstead's place. It was softer, silkier, and I was deep down this train of thought when the lights kicked on in the morgue and the door to the staircase opened. I threw myself to the floor, backpedaling to my place near the coat rack. Just as I reached it, I saw the cautious face of Devin Lynch peer through the window and into the office before disappearing from view. I slowly slid up the wall, watching as Devin picked up one of Molly's clipboards covered in notes and skimmed it over. Closing and locking the door, he scoured the morgue to find the small bag of belongings that had come with this man, and snapped photos of the items in the bag before checking around the room one last time, turning off the lights and disappearing up the stairs. I crept out of my hiding place to see what it was that he had been taking so many photos of. Inside the bag was the man's ID, his wallet, a wedding ring, but nothing out of the ordinary. His name was Harold Keller, died of natural causes, middle-aged. It could be that Molly had forgotten to do something, or that he needed that info for his job moonlighting for the mortuary. Either way, he hadn't made off with the body. He hadn't even taken the very easily stolen items in the bag. I posted back up in the office chair, determined to wait out the rest of the night. I didn't much care if I had to sleep on a dusty office floor with the corpses in the next room over. I wasn't about to let Marshal Lynch get an inquisitor called on him. the lights off, wanting to be sure that if someone came in, it wouldn't be immediately apparent that something was wrong. I sat on the ground next to the coat rack, head leaned back against the wall, gaze somewhat unfocused on the ceiling tiles of the small office. A light in the morgue flickered on and stayed weakly lit, illuminating the other room with a blue-white light that made me feel cold. I could only see the bottom half of the room through the half-closed shades, but from what I could make out in the dim lighting, no one was here. The light continued to flicker, and I realized suddenly that the sound I had heard was the open body fridge door. My stomach sank to my feet, and I moved carefully over to the office exit. Had I fallen asleep? Had the body snatcher gotten by me? I tried the handle of the stairs, but it was still locked, and surely I would have heard the sound of the elevator. The opening of the fridge was a black maw of darkness. Glancing down, I saw that I had stepped on a small piece of paper tied with a string. I bent to pick it up, but one side was blank, but the other had a name scribbled on it. Charles Everdeen? I took a step toward the lit crematorium when a cold grip closed around my torso, tossing me up against the fridge door. I found myself staring at a head of sandy blonde hair, a strong jaw, and a face missing an eye. 
Charles Everdeen had a hold of me. His left arm clutched around my waist, the stub of his right pressed into my throat. The wounds were raw, and I could feel the blood soaking my shirt. I struggled against him, but he was impossibly strong, dragging me across the room and slamming me onto the metallic table. The gaping hole where his eye used to be got closer and closer to me. I struggled against the weight of him as he pressed me into the table. Just behind his head, I caught the glimpse of fire on glass and looked up just in time to see my reflection in the glasses of a man with a scalpel. bolted to my feet and looked out into the blackness of the examination room. No fire in the crematorium. No bodies roaming the morgue in front of me. My heart was still racing, and I rubbed the knob forming on my head from the fall into the desk and looked out into the eerily illuminated room in front of me, trying to catch sight of some shambling form or the glint of the office light on shattered glass. When there was nothing, I drew my gun and inched into the examination room keeping my back to the wall and my eyes on the fridges. I flicked the light on when I got to it, and took another few moments to make my hands stop shaking before I gave the entire morgue a once-over. Satisfied that I was alone, I sat for a moment with my head in my hands behind the office desk. It's okay. It's just a dream. That's what you get for sleeping in the morgue. Dumbass. It was almost six in the morning, and at this point, I both didn't think it was likely that someone would come for this body, and almost didn't care if they did. I needed out of here. I turned off the office lights behind me and paused at the door leading up the stairs. I thought about taking the elevator, but the idea of staring out into the darkness of the morgue after I turned off the lights through the slowly closing metal doors sounded like a nightmare of its own. Instead, I held the door open with a foot reached through the crack and flicked off the lights. I bolted, getting halfway up the stairs before I even heard the soft click of the door behind me. It was like I was a child again, running from the darkness of the gym, picturing some kind of monster on my heels. Only this time, the monster I was thinking of was one of my own making. It was my fault. I posted up outside the morgue the next day, after I had managed to crawl out of my bed at like 3pm. It was mostly uneventful. I watched as Devin walked his father out to a car and drove away, saw Molly come and go a few times in the company car, and occasionally got distracted by the nature in the distance, trees waving in an unfelt wind, a strange calling silence echoing out to me but stopping just at the edge of the satellite concrete. I could see the steeple of the now-familiar church building stabbing up above the treetops, dark stone and metal planted in the middle of the sanctuary. 
It waned into evening, and when I saw Molly exit without her lab coat and walk off toward the train station, instead of jumping into one of the cars and blazing with Lynch's mortuary, I figured she was finally done with her operations. Delilah had been the one to teach me how to pick locks, and had given me a kit as a birthday present a few years ago. It came in handy a few too many times for me to feel good about owning it. The lock clicked open, and I ducked inside and relocked it behind me, clicking on a flashlight and moving through the darkened morgue and down a staircase to the examination room. I paused outside, shining the light through the small door window. The remnants of my dreams still hung on me, and I spent a little too long staring at the fridges. Come on, Jack. Just, just a dream. Just a creepy morgue dream. I opened the door, taking deep, steady breaths as I moved through the space, heading for the back office again to post up. I didn't necessarily think that the morgue owner was the one stealing the bodies. I mean, it'd be either a really stupid or a really ballsy move to hire a private investigator to investigate the crime you were actively committing. However, he seemed really close to his employees, and he may have tipped them off, either intentionally or not. I took up my spot from the night before, this time with a thermos full of coffee, and waited. Here you are! I froze for a moment, thinking that she had seen me, but instead watched as she walked through the examination room, picked up a chart, made a few notes, and headed back up the stairs, flicking the lights off again behind her. Well, she's either a really dedicated worker, or the problem here. I don't know when exactly I fell asleep, but I awoke to the sounds of metal groaning and sliding. I stood up from my place on the floor, shaking my head to bring myself back to a state of awareness. The late nights with Smith were certainly fucking up my stakeout game. There was a man standing with his back to me, maneuvering the body to wheel to the examination table. He had a nice quality camera with him, which bumped against his chest as he struggled to lift the body onto the waiting cart. Quietly, I stepped out into the morgue, unfastening the holster under my shoulder and drawing my gun. Hold it right there. The man jumped and spun to face me, almost sending the body to the floor. In his rush, he knocked into the body cart, the bag sliding partially off, papers that had been on it scattering to the floor. One of them caught my eye. It was an exact copy of the man's license that I had seen before. The same face, the same age, but this was a different man, at least according to his name and date of birth. These papers were a forgery. I glanced back up the man who now stood with his hands in the air, sweat beating on his forehead. Devin? What the hell? What are you doing down here? I, I'm making a delivery. After hours. At three in the morning? What the fuck are these papers? Uh, I... They... Stop it right there, Molly. Devin, move one more inch and we're going to have a problem. 
The two of them froze in place, Devon having been hurriedly gathering the loose papers, and Molly with an almost feral look in her eye. All right. Devon, what is going on here? Don't talk to her, Devon. She's no better than the wasps. Am I better than an inquisitor? The two of them immediately fell silent, Devon's face as white as the death shroud on the table in front of him. What? An inquisitor. The church is going to send one if one more body goes missing from this establishment. Uh, Why? We aren't the ones doing this. Then why don't you tell me what's going on, Devon? I... I... Devon, what is she talking about? What... What are these papers? This isn't the right information for this body. Devon, you've got forged papers for a body that you are mysteriously photographing in the middle of the night. At this point, you probably aren't telling me something I don't already know. Did you know that the church pays fuck all for the flesh-tied bodies? Do you know how much APAC costs per bottle? Because I can tell you that between the cost of my father's medication and the lack of business we've received because we're required to serve the church, we've wound up with... With... With you unable to pay your bills. Just barely scraping by. How? I saw the unpaid bills on the desk in the office. (sighs) So you've been stealing the bodies for the flesh trade and selling them to a more lucrative market. It's the only thing I could think of. My dad won't tell the church to fuck off, but he can't afford anything with them as essentially his only customers. Devin, no! Please, Molly, you have to understand The church is thinking about bringing an inquisitor here. Do you have any idea what could have happened to the business? Or to your dad? Or to me? I... I wouldn't have let it get that far. I... It already almost is that far, Devin. I don't... I already set up to sell this body. I have a meeting with the dead man. I've already paid the counterfeiter for the papers. What? Wait. Paid the what? The the guy who makes the fake papers. The forger. Give me those. I snatched some of the loose papers out from Molly's hands and began flipping through them. Over the last few weeks studying the counterfeiter and his tactics, Smith and I had found a few things to look for. First, the names. He played some kind of syllabic game when coming up with the names of his victims. Almost like he was writing a haiku. The signature of the inspector was just a little off with too many bumps on the M. And finally, a little plastic calling card that he left on the physical plastic ID. A slight bump on the back. A perfect malformation in the shape of an S. I rested my hands on the cold metal of the table, the fake ID in my hand, my heart racing. Devin, have you interacted with this man, the counterfeiter? Y- yes Thin guy. Gaunt. Glasses. He was thin and gaunt, yeah, but I don't remember him with glasses. I pulled out my phone scrolling until I found the police sketch that Smith had put together after interacting with a couple of witnesses that had survived their encounters, and the man in orange who helped them out for a lighter sentence. Did he look like this? Yeah, yeah, that's him. All right. All right. Look, guys, I'm not particularly interested in helping the church on the best of days, but especially not when they're ripping off hardworking people and then being dicks about it. You said you've got a meeting set up with the dead men? Yeah. Tonight. What's the meeting? I, I'm going to be showing them the photos and bartering for, for the price. You were going to do that alone? 
What kind of an idiot are you? What? Molly, I... You thought you'd just fuck around with the dead men? Devin, that is one of the stupidest things I have ever heard. You step wrong with them once. Once. And you're done. She's right. They aren't called the dead men for nothing. Have you been selling bodies to them the whole time? No, the counterfeiter guy used to buy them directly, but he stopped after the last one. It made sense. It was only recently Smith had gotten close enough to actually trapping the bastard that we spooked him hardcore underground. I'm not letting you go talk to them alone. Molly, it isn't safe. Especially for you. I don't know a gang you ran with, and I don't need to, but if there's a chance that these guys will recognize you, then you being there could just be more trouble. I've got an idea. Devin, if you agree to help me try and catch your counterfeiter, I'll help you get the church off your back. You... you will? Yeah, but you have to do exactly what I tell you. Got it? Understood. Good. Now listen up. We're going to be walking a thin line here, and stepping off of it will kill you. It had been a long time since I'd been in any kind of a deal like this. Once before I'd run something like this with Smith, but he'd been in my ear the whole time walking me through it, and it had been a much more insignificant gang than the dead men. I sat in the car with Devin at my side. Alright, so we're going to go up there together. You said you let her know that there would be two of us? Springing things on these kinds of people tends to end up with a bullet in the brain. Yes. I told her you were going to be helping me with the body transport, like you told me to. Good. Let's go. It's time. I had borrowed some clothes from Molly, wearing combat boots instead of wingtips, and a bleached black shirt and a leather jacket. We walked about half a block from the car and ducked down the alley next to a warehouse that had mostly broken, boarded-up windows, spots of rust, and what appeared to be a permanent puddle of some liquid or another on the side of the building. At the mouth of the alley, a giant, burly man eyed the two of us up and down before giving a single nod and stepping to the side. They stopped us only a couple of steps later, scanning over us for any kind of listening or tracking devices, and then, satisfied that we weren't wired, let us proceed into the darkness. We stopped under a steady beam of yellow light at the middle of the alley, watching as a woman equal in size to the man we'd just passed, if not bigger, looked us up and down with a smirk. All right. No kill over there vouched for you, saying he'd seen you do business with a mutual friend of ours. What do you got? We've... we've got a body. It's in good condition. Died of natural causes. We can... Uh, can deliver it to you. <laughs> Bodies are hard to move. You have to have all the right paperwork, a sale lined up, all kinds of things. We've got the paperwork covered. All you have to do is find a buyer. And we both know that's not as hard as you're making it sound. Right. You're the new hire, huh? The addendum? What's your deal? Money. <laughs> I like this one, boys. Your paperwork any good? I'm not looking to get busted turning in a corpse. It's the best. The best? Yeah. Done by a professional, even. Ah. I think I might know who you're talking about. I echoed her smirk, but didn't say anything. 
I could feel Devin about to pass out beside me, nervously wringing his hands and looking around. Based on the look that the gang leader gave him, it was obvious to more than just me. Devin handed over the photos of the body and scans of the paperwork, which the woman took her time looking over. As she looked, Devin practically started to quake, clasping his hands tightly together. Your boy gonna be okay? Yeah, he'll be fine. He's done this before. He's just never been on this end of it. Normally, the forger handled the actual selling. <clears throat> Don't you worry. We'll get you used to it yet. We need to move this body quick. It's scheduled for delivery to the church in a few nights. Oh boy, stealing right out of the vulture's mouth, huh? Yeah, we can get something set up. Take this phone. We'll texture the address to meet at. Tomorrow night. <laughs> Tomorrow? Yeah. Got a problem? No. Tomorrow's fine. Good. See you then. The woman turned, walking past the lingering members of her crew and deeper into the alley. I caught a hold of Devin's arm, turning him and tugging him out the other way, toward our waiting car. He collapsed into the passenger seat, pale and shaking. I patted him on the chest, taking a deep breath myself. <sighs> hey, this part's done. Yeah, yeah. The hard part's over. Well, I didn't say that. But yeah, I guess for you the hard part is over. Are you sure about... about all this? Nope. But it's a little late to start doubting it now. my way from the drop-off point to the cathedral that now loomed overhead. I'd called to let Optera Foll know that I was going to be swinging by with some answers, and was currently dreading the meeting. I was fighting to keep my blood pressure down, taking deep breaths of the crisp air and trying to distract myself by looking for animals and bugs in the trees around me. The Optera was waiting for me on the steps, and I gave them a slight nod as I ascended to the entryway. Investigator, it is good to see you again. Uptera. I understand you have some information on our case. My case, but yes. Please, come in. We can talk in my office. We entered the chapel, the Uptera stopping to perform the cross and circle just before the pews started. I stood slightly behind them, quiet. There was a cross and circle that was hung above the altar, and a few worshippers here and there but my eyes were fixated on the dark, robed figure in the front. Whoever it was had a floor-length black robe with a crimson cross that ran from the top of the hood and down to the hem, the crossbar stretching across the backs of the shoulders. An Inquisitor. I got the feeling that they had been purposely placed here. A reminder. I followed the Optera through a side door, up a narrow flight of stairs, and into a small, cluttered room. I turned sideways to slide through into the office space and took the chair that the Optera offered me. Right. Investigator, what have you found? It looks like your problem is in the mortuary. At least, 
Not directly. Explain. A local branch of the dead men had been stealing the bodies and threatening the employees. I got a sting set up with a local wasp to both stop them stealing your next shipment and to catch the people involved, so... When and where? Soon, and at a location they're deciding. I'm going to need some specifics from you, investigator. Why? Because I would be remiss if I didn't send along some support. You mean a babysitter? Oh, come now, investigator. No. Why the fuck would you send people on a wasp operation? I'm not going to- I suppose you're right. You aren't the one in charge here. It is a wasp operation. I'll get in contact with the local police. Thank you for your work. The church greatly appreciates it. So I have to ask, Optera, with how deep the pockets of the church are, why don't you pay your morticians any kind of living wage? You almost completely usurp their operations to process whatever bodies are up to whatever stupid code you have, and then you pay them nothing. It is everyone's divine service. To do the flesh tithe, not to do mortician work for free. He is duly compensated. He can barely afford to live. The Redeemer will provide. Oh, fuck you. At the bottom of the stairs, I brushed by the Inquisitor I'd seen earlier at the front of the chapel and felt my back stiffen, my heart rate pick up. Inquisitor? Investigator? I moved past her and out the door, emerging from the stoic darkness into the bright light of the morning, the sun hanging just above the treetops. It was a decent walk back, but I didn't mind. My city towered in the distance, and I'd never been more glad to walk into its shadow. I sat in the front of the refrigerator truck, hands gripping the steering wheel hard enough that my knuckles were white. Smith's voice crackled in over my earpiece. All right, Jack, keep going. You're gonna be fine. Yeah. Thanks, Smith. You know the plan? I drive the body to the drop-off point, the wasps and the church police come out, I drop off my cargo, stay low, and try not to get shot. Ideally, this won't be a gunfight. I don't have high hopes. Me neither. Thanks, Smith. Stay safe, Jack. Let me know when to send you the addresses. Yeah, will do. I leaned back, trying to make myself relax, thinking of the cargo I was carrying. The spare phone that I had let out a buzz. I flipped it open, reading out the address inside to Smith. All right, we're getting set. Head there, follow the directions, and keep an eye on the exits, yeah? Gotcha. Just think, Jack, if we pull this off, we're one step closer to catching that son of a bitch. Won't do me a ton of good if I'm dead. You aren't gonna die, Jack. Sure, you might get shot, but you aren't gonna die. I don't want to get shot, either. <sighs> I headed down the main roads until I couldn't anymore, detouring into what looked like a warehouse district on the edge of the city. Everything was cold, blue steel, and dark pavement. The truck splashing through puddles that reflected distant lights clear up near the grates. I caught sight of a few of the dead men standing at the opening to a roadway between two of the squat buildings, and I turned my taillights to the open ground behind me and inched down the road. When my headlights illuminated another three or so gang members blocking further progress, I stopped. 
I wasn't sure if I would rather stay in the cab or get out and stand at the back, but I wasn't given much of a choice when the big woman who was running the deal gestured for me to get out. I put the truck in park and jumped down, keeping my leather jacket unzipped, but held closed, pinning the edges of my coat to my body by pressing my hands down into the pockets. I had one set of brass knuckles on, though judging by the heat these guys were packing, it likely wasn't going to do me a ton of good. Well, hello, friend. Where's Devin? Cleaning up back at the morgue. I don't think I ever got your name. Call me Charlie. Okay, Charlie. You can call me Cleaver. Fun name. <laughs> A well-earned name. Come on now, let's open up the back. I'm excited to see the cargo you have for me. I could practically feel my heartbeat in my throat, but as we approached instead of the back of the truck, I started to feel relaxed in spite of myself. I watched as Cleaver also seemed to calm, her shoulders dropping. A couple other men came to stand beside us, one letting out a small, almost sleepy sigh. I climbed up, calmer than I had any right to be. Smith's voice was soft in my ear. We're with you, Jack. Inside the truck was dark, cavernous, and the chill wafted out as a thin fog. The body's in here? I moved so that I would be able to duck under the truck door and run if I needed to. Fog wafting around her calves, cloak brushing against the middle ground. The hooded figure stepped out of the darkness and into the blue light reflecting off of the steel around us. I am Inquisitor Salem. Put down your arms and surrender. It was hard for me to even get worked up enough to be worried, and Cleaver seemed to be trying to work herself up, putting a hand on the knife, well, Cleaver, on her hip. The screech of the car tires at the entrances to the alley managed to pull us both out of whatever weird mental fog that had captured us. Well, unfortunate timing. The Inquisitor tilted her head, turned her forearm to show a gold, metal, bar-like implant that ran vertically, a bangle-like bracelet on her wrist. With a light tap, she pressed a button that made the gold bar flash briefly red. My heart went from strangely sluggish to pounding in my throat. My palms started sweating, and I took a half a step back. One of the men at the back of the car froze in place, eyes wide, a terrified look on his face. Another turned and bolted, slamming into a side door to one of the warehouses and disappearing inside. But Cleaver? Cleaver let out a roar, drawing her knife and lunging forward at the Inquisitor standing in the back of the truck. around the truck, I saw the Inquisitor press on a different button on the bar in her arm. It flashed briefly blue, and almost immediately I found myself taking a deep breath, lowering my gun to point at the ground. What the fuck? What? What does that do? We all have our own tricks, no? I don't have tricks like that. Maybe not, but your watchdogs do. Freeze! The Inquisitor gave him a slight nod, taking a pair of cuffs from her robe and binding the unconscious cleaver. Wait, wait! Sorry, officer, but you know that she belongs to the church. 
That's not... I am sure that if you petition the Optera, he'll be willing to give you whatever interrogation time you need. After all, you have helped the church, and the church shall respond in kind. Smith clenched his jaw, but didn't say anything else. Inquisitor Salem pulled a phone from her pocket, dialing a number. Yes, this is Inquisitor Salem. The perpetrator is ready for pickup. Yes. Yes, I will accompany Good to see you're alive! Didn't even get shot! I know. Guess, uh... Guess I'm lucky. You alright, Jack? I... I don't know. I've never experienced anything like that. The Inquisitor? Did she do the whole emotion thing? Emotion thing? I don't really know how to describe it. They can do this emotional manipulation. It's their mod. By the Redeemer. It's not my favorite, but damn can it be effective. I noticed. Come on, Jack, this part's over. Let's go talk to your kids. We got bigger fish to fry, remember? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Smith. Yeah? Remind me to stop messing with Inquisitors. Or watchdogs. Or... Serial killers? I'll do my best, Jack, but damn, you seem to like getting into trouble. No kidding. I warmed my hands on the cream-colored bug. The smell of coffee and whiskey, mixed with the diner smells of grease and fried foods, helped center me. Smith said nothing, stirring cream into his coffee and occasionally squinting at the door. Rough night, Jack? Not great, Sam. This'll help. Thanks, Sam. Anytime. I caught sight of Devin out of the corner of my eye. We made eye contact, and he unbuttoned his coat, moving through the press of people to sit next to me in the booth. Get you something, kid? Yeah. Coffee? Sure thing. Lucky? Lucky. If you're hanging with this crew, you probably want it lucky. No, no kidding. kidding. Oh. Then, uh, sure. <coughs> oh. So... Lucky just means... Whiskey. Yeah. Right. Great. <coughs> so, what happened? Did it work? Yeah. Worked out just fine. Only a couple casualties. Cleaver's in the church's custody. Do you think... Do you think she'll tell them that she wasn't behind the body kidnappings? Maybe, but we got a decent paper trail that we can set the church on with just the counterfeiter. So I'm not too worried about it. We'll steer him where we want him to go. Good. Good. Speaking of the counterfeiter, you were in contact with him, right? Yeah. He did the forgeries for all the bodies I sold. How'd you get in contact with him? Luck, mostly. I reached out to someone that Molly talked about. An ex-gang member that was still somewhat in the scene. Someone who, like, sells things illegally or... Some kind of peddler. Yeah, yeah. They mentioned that in order to move the bodies, they would need to have the paperwork. And that it had to be good, since the wasps in the area were cracking down on the flesh trade. He said he knew the perfect person to sell to. That he'd be able to both peddle the bodies and make the papers for them. It was only for this last one that he decided he wasn't going to sell the bodies anymore. That would have been when you were right on his heels, right, Smith? Yeah, he probably dropped off the grid because we'd been tracking his sales. 
We were real close to him. Seems like we've been real close to him multiple times. Well, the bastard's slippery. Do you have a description of him? Uh, he was slightly bald, with big eyes. Thin, kind of hunched, medium height. He had kind of a hooked nose and pale skin. Like this? Yeah, but no glasses. I wonder why Charles thought that he was wearing glasses. No idea. He was not in great shape when we talked. Maybe he was just confused. Maybe. How many times did you meet this guy directly? Was there any pattern to your meetups? The first few times we always met in the same place. But then he gave me a phone number and instead I would call him and we'd set up our meetings more on the fly. Do you still have that number? Uh, yes. Why? Do you think he'd pick up if you called him? Probably, unless he's heard about the bust. It's been kept pretty quiet. To the public, probably not quite as quiet to other criminals. It's worth a shot. Definitely. You down to make one more call, Devin? Anything to help. The Redeemer knows you've all helped me so much. All right, can you come by the station? Now? Probably better move quickly before he has the chance to hear the word on the street. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Let me just make a call. I told Molly I'd be back soon, but given the change. Go for it, kid. Tell her I said hello. Hey, Molly. Yes. I just wanted to let you know that I'm going down to the police station with Jack and Officer Smith. Yeah. You promise you won't be mad? Yes. Please. Okay. Yes? You all right, Devin? You look a little pale. Yeah, I'm fine. Just nervous, you know? Don't worry. We'll keep you safe. I promise. The phone rang so many times that Smith almost told Devin to hang up and try again later. But just before I put my feet up on the table and told him to hang up, a scratchy voice answered. Smith gestured to the other wasp running the recording device, and we slipped on our headphones. The first words that I heard hit me in the chest. It was him. This was him. Devin, good to hear from you. I trust that the paperwork is all in order? Y yes. It was good. 
I'm sure it was perfect. That's what I meant. Meant to say. It's perfect. Good. We've got another, um, client. Think you could help them with the paperwork? That was quick. The mortuary is steady business. <laughs> I suppose so. Well, it is easier than finding my own clients. Though I imagine I'll have to get back on the hunt soon. The butcher's fingers are getting antsy. In the meantime, I've got some easy work for you. Very well. Some photos will be necessary. Meet me tomorrow out back of the old Jack's bar. Regular time. Okay. Don't be late. All right, ladies. Remember, elbows up and in. Punch straight and hard. And what do we always do? We fight and we scream real fucking loud. Perfect. I'll see everyone next week. This is Jack. Jack, I just wanted to call and thank you again. <laughs> thank you again for all of your work. Not a problem, Marshall. Thanks for your payment. And tell Devin I said thanks again for his help. Yes, while I must say the wasp detail has added a little extra excitement to the everyday proceedings, they are not unwelcome. Unfortunately, with catching the counterfeiter having gone sideways, it really is going to be best for you all to have that protection. At least for the time being. Hey, two-step, one sec. Anyways, I've gotta go. Take care of yourself, Marshall. Well, kid, another successful job? One successful, one not. So it goes. That case you're running for still unwrapped? Yeah. The counterfeiter must have either caught wind of the dead men bust or just known that Smith was coming, but he never showed at the meeting. The phone line that Devin had been using is dead now. At the very least, we've now got down his M.O. and we know what he looks like, so Smith is putting out a public notice. Hopefully, with the eyes and ears of Satellite, we'll be able to find him. Safe bet. Satellite sees and hears everything. All she needs is a rallying cry. Hopefully, she'll rally to us, then. Hmm. You got something else you wanted to talk about? Someone left you mail. Found it this morning. Would have given it to you earlier, but... But I was late to class. Yeah, I know. Two-Step gave me a wry smile and handed over the letter. I opened it and felt my heart drop to my feet. What the fuck? What? What is it? A notice that my license has been revoked. Your investigator license? No, my driver's license. Don't be sarcastic with me, kid. Why would they have revoked it? This says for a failed review request, but that doesn't make sense. The only review request I've had recently was the case with that watchdog, and, well, they were guilty as hell. My fingers ran over a raised bump on the back of the paper, a malformation in the shape of a very small S. I slowed, taking a closer look at the paper. It had my actual address listed, but the signature of the chief authorizer was wrong. 
The signature belonged to the man that had retired a little over a year ago. Jack? Jack, you okay? Yeah. This isn't the real thing. This is a forgery. A forgery? It's not real. It's missing the stamp, and this guy hasn't been in charge for these for a few years now. Plus, it's got the counterfeiter's calling card on the back. So you're not revoked? What's the point of the forgery if it's going to be this obviously wrong? Simple. It's a threat. Devin? Hey. Molly? You know you're not talking to your little friend, yes? Yes. I just wanted to let you know that I'm going down to the police station with Jack and Officer Smith. Ah. A warning, then. Yeah. You promise you won't be mad? No, no. Not at all. In fact, I would say this has secured you and your little friend's safety. I would have hated to forge you and Molly, isn't it? Yes. Molly. Molly. Yes, she would have caught a pretty penny. Maybe I would have even kept her name on the paperwork. Lovely name. Please. Don't worry, Devon. I will answer your next call from the police station, and we will pretend together that I don't know of your... treachery. Okay. And Devon? Yes? Keep your eyes open before they are mine. A special thanks to our Kickstarter backers, Casey, V, The Fritz Family, and Sarah Clifford. You're what helps keep this podcast going. In addition, the name of Molly Giacomo was submitted by Sarah Clifford and is a combination of the names of her dogs, who we are sure are very good dogs. Heartbeat Podcast was written and produced by Aaron Bentley. Our sound engineer is Bella Bongiorno. Jack Hart was voiced by Becca Austin. Charles Everdeen was voiced by Levi Austin. Two-Step, Marshall Lynch, and The Counterfeiter were all voiced by Logan Soto. And Esther Rose was voiced by Amanda Biggs. 
Aptera Fole was voiced by Justin Kern, and Molly was voiced by KB Kern. Inquisitor Salem was voiced by Ali Soretto, and Devin, Officer Smith, and Sam DeBoer were all voiced by Jace Flanagan. Thanks again for listening, and may you all bask in the glory of satellite. <laughs>